0: hey what's up guys lucas burnley here with my co-host tj schwartz you're listening to the edge and flow podcast um today's kind of a macro episode we wanted to take a look at some of the ideas around being self-employed versus having a traditional job um definitely not looking at this from a standpoint of advice just some of our own experiences and just kind of a uh, philosophical conversation on the topic so
1: I'm yeah that's it over right to you tj yeah this is this is something we both kind of lived in the self-employment side of things for for quite a number of years now and i have to premise preface this whole conversation with the fact that i actually have such marginal experience with a conventional employment situation. So I can't speak, I would be hesitant to even say that it's like self-employment versus employment because of my lack of knowledge, but maybe I just want to frame it of like, this is what self-employment has been like for me and and as an onlooker to not being self-employed, this is what it seems to compare to, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Mm -hmm. I, I probably have a little longer working history. Um, I started working really young. So like my first Mm -hmm. job, I think I was 12 or 13 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, I cleaned slip castings for a Potter. Mm. Um, and yeah, I just always, I always kind of worked right. So Mm -hmm. I cleaned up construction sites. I started doing that maybe actually earlier, like 12. Mm -hmm. Um, And just like working for friends, businesses and contractors and stuff like that, left home at 16, went through welding school and started working in the welding industry Mm -hmm. um, and did that for a few years. And then, I mean, really for me, I started making knives like super actively, probably when I was about 20 or 21, I maintained a bartending job and knife making until I was 28 years old. Mm -hmm. So it was always like a hand in hand kind of scenario
1: right yeah it's for me it was basically my my only knowledge of true employment was really summers uh basically freshman through senior year of high school and then college and i was immediately going towards knives immediately after that so my experience is condensed to summer employment full-time in high school and so that that's (laughs) that's why that's why my experience in speaking on that is is weak i would say but I I guess my knowledge is strong in the, in the self-employment side, which is the case that I'd like to make, I guess, today.
0: Well, and ultimately I think you and I both have uh, the tendency to probably look at what we're doing through a lens of functionality Mm -hmm. in terms of does being self-employed provide the same resources as having a more traditional career path, right? Right. Right. So obviously there's like being self-employed can mean different things to different people. Um, to me, I mean, it essentially means that I have the security of a traditional job. So I need to have health insurance. I need to have life insurance. Um, I need to be able to provide for retirement for Maddie and myself. Um, I need to be able to provide for school, Uh, for my kids. Right. So Mm -hmm. in that, like there's, there's actually a lot of aspects where I've created a more traditional uh, work environment for myself. It's just, you know, kind of self-directed.
1: Yeah. And I think what you're touching on in some ways is I think there's a a view sometimes looking on a self-employed picture from the outside, that it's like this complete freedom of going any direction at any time. And like, there's no need for organization. There's no need for structure. Uh, you always hear it compared, like, there's the 9 to 5 versus the self-employment. But I, I kind of contest that model of, like, the 9 to 5 versus the self-employment because I think, what, I think to thrive in self-employment, there is a need for a strong sense of organization. And in reality, like, what I've done is borrowed a lot from the typical job model, which I think is what you're touching on. Mm-hmm. And it, there's a reason in a lot of ways that, that industry and business works that way. And I think to be so rebellious that you won't adopt any of that is a, is kind of risky. And I think uh, a philosophy that I, that my dad uses that he's, he's mentioned a lot is like even creativity thrives in, in an organized environment. And I think it's counterintuitive, but it, things get j- so much more efficient And even, like I said, the things that are more free flowing, like creativity are, are fostered in organization.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Well, I, I always like that idea that like, in a way, like inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us just go to work. I forget Mm -hmm. who said that, but that as a concept, I don't fully agree with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do think there's, there's a lot of value in just the, the general train of thought of like, it's, it's about consistency. Yeah, um, absolutely. I also think too, with the way that the just different industries have, have kind of moved. I don't even know if nine to five, if you're in like our age group or younger is even a thing really, if you're in a career where you're like trying to either make a name for yourself or a place for yourself in a company, I would guess a lot of people are working way more hours, mm-hmm. um, yeah. than that or you different know I mean? hours different hours. Yeah. There's some kind of hustle going on. Um, and you, you always hear like people, um, say things about being self-employed, you know, where it's like, oh yeah, like seven days a week, like, you know, or hundred hour weeks. And th- there's truth to that, right? Mm-hmm. The, what mm-hmm. the difference is, is some of it can be by choice. Um, so you're able to a lot of times decide if you want to work harder to get ahead for a specific purpose. Um, There's also an element that initially, like a lot of times you have to work harder. That's regardless of if you're in a traditional career path or self-employed. I've always looked at it from the standpoint of balance. To me, if I create a system that, that is flexible and has the ability to provide a certain type of resource, the only value exist if I actually utilize it in that manner.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So if you have mm-hmm. the flexibility to like, uh, pick your kids up at school or, you know, um, take time away for like a longer vacation or something like that, it only matters if you actually do it.
1: Yeah. Right? I, that's a, that's a great point. I've had to remind myself of that recently because on the outset of becoming self-employed, it was about freedom. Like that was the whole concept in my head right. that there was a driving factor and the, the dream of freedom in self-employment, I think it's easy to forget about that as like, I think it's most people's idea of starting out is the freedom, whether that freedom is through money or just the time factor. Uh, right. I've recently had to start reminding myself of like, I have built something that's working now. And if I forego the freedom aspect of it on my own accord, then I've squandered it. You know what I mean?
0: Right. It again, I think it comes down to awareness and kind of working in the present for what your needs are at that time and, mm-hmm. and moving forward. And like yeah. being able to realize when things shift. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's an it's a really interesting like I think change. Like I I feel like a lot of people who are in a job that they're not super passionate about, the idea of being self-employed is is super attractive and mm-hmm. i think a lot of that is just having autonomy like realizing i will still have to work hard but i will be working hard on my own accord um, yeah yeah you know it's and i don't know it's a uh, <laughs> it's a pretty loaded question now as like like i turned 40 this year i've got two kids i'm married when i started I was, I was single and I was, you know, just a little bit older than a teenager. So my, the stakes at that point were much lower. And so I grew into the industry and like into self-employment in a really organic way. Mm -hmm. If I had a, you know, a good job at this point, like what, like, yeah, if I had a good job that was providing everything that I needed for my family, it would be really hard, I think, to make that, that first step to be like, all right, I'm going to risk it. And I'm going to go do this thing completely on my own.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. There's the gambling nature of the self-employment picture is, is intrinsic to it. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's obvious. It's, it's the main thing people think about when they picture the, the glamour of being self-employed is what it's contrasted to is the gamble you know what I mean? It's like trying to hit a, a million bucks on a do you a lottery Do you feel
0: like there's a gamble? Because I have I have a different I have a different perspective on this. Mm-hmm. Do you have, Do you think it's a gamble being self employed?
1: I do. I would say I do. I, I can't say that I've thought about it really philosophically, but it it does feel like it to me. Yeah.
0: What is your number one fear?
1: Number one fear, I would say, it used to be I it was a lot less of a gamble I now to also have two kids and a wife and whatnot. And to me, the, the gambling nature of it is that there's going to be slowdowns. There's going to be like somewhat hard times in self-employment. I mean, in any field or any kind of work that you do, there's going to be, but I think you can have some pretty low lows in self-employment that if they're too frequent or too intense and they affect your life in bigger ways, like your family life. That's the gamble: is that like, are you going to be able to avoid the low lows enough to where it was worth it at the right. end of it? Does that an make extended,
0: sense? an extended so low. it's
1: it's not really a gamble of like, are you going to go bankrupt and be homeless? It's not like a right. an extreme example. That would be an extreme example. I don't I don't know that that I don't know that I foresee that being possible from a yeah. gambling sense. It's just that am I going to have to give more to my business to keep it afloat in certain times than I think is a good idea? You know what I mean? Ooh, that's a pretty good.
0: Yeah. And like, actually I could make the argument that that initially there was like the fear of like it's catastrophic failure, right? Mm -hmm. It's, I won't be able to afford my mortgage. I won't be able to put food on the table. And at this point, like I actually in a way, feel what I've created is much more secure for myself than if I were to have a traditional job, because I know that no matter what I will not like, I would not let my family go hungry. Yeah. And I look downstairs and I'm like, man, I have a workshop, like knife industry takes a dive. People aren't buying my product. Like I have machines. I can work. Like there's Mm -hmm. an element of, of, I think, having to figure things out repeatedly over the years that like, I just trust in myself. Mm -hmm. Right? No, I agree. So that part goes away. However, what you just kind of keyed on, I think is like a, an unseen risk. Yeah. Right. Which is it's like in a passion driven industry.
1: And it's like the gray area before rock bottom. Right. That if you get stuck in for too long, the cost starts to mount from a like interpersonal level.
0: Right. Well, that's, I mean, if you look at it, it, like the idea of being a workaholic, I mean that, that, that can be tied into a job too. Um, mm-hmm. very easily. I just think yeah. that I think a lot of us that are kind of doing our own thing, we probably tend to lean that way a little bit anyway. Like, it's really easy for me to just stay in the shop. Mm-hmm. um, that, that is, I think in, in essence, like of balance, that's where it actually matters. It's not like, Oh, like I'm balancing my bills and like my work. It's you're balancing this thing that you've built and are passionate about with family and other life. Mm
1: -hmm. And I I think I have a, maybe one more succinct way to phrase it is like, I want to build my business to, so that the business gives more of me to my family than what a conventional employment situation would be able to. Right. But the gamble is it could also result in it taking more from my family than what a conventional employment situation would. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. And I would say that probably in your case, the awareness of that is a pretty good hedge against the actual risk. Right. Right. You know, it's not going to like sneak up on you, probably.
1: Mm -hmm. And I I would say that the the fortunate thing I had going on for me, and and I think you've described this, too, is the years where if I had had a family during those years in the beginning when I was getting the ball rolling, like it would have been a lot of time spent in that area where I, I would be giving more to my family by working a normal job. Mm -hmm. for those years but i didn't have a family for those years right so i like the once i had kids and was married then the gamble became real but i had like you know a thousand feet of runway behind me already and so it worked out and i was i was fortunate to have dove in that direction like early enough for that to be the case and i but i but i also think there was luck in that but also when I came out of high school, I, I went to college, it, it, like the road was kind of paved for me to go to college. It just seemed natural. Like it was just the people around me were going to college. It made sense. I had good enough grades. Everything was fine. I enjoyed college. But I, I even told my parents, like my freshman year, I said, if I graduate college, I will have failed. Like that's how I viewed college because I actually, wow. I wanted to be on track, self-employed before i get that degree because it would have been a mechanical engineering degree and i knew that the the allure of a mechanical engineering job was probably going to overpower my desire to stay self-employed and so it's like i had to get afloat on my own before i had that option you know what i mean right and so i i, I was just looking starting you know at 18 years old like how, what's my out route here well also like not failing in school i was trying to you know keep that option afloat But I got to find a way out before I get too close to that, like golden ticket. If that makes sense.
0: That's a wild way to look at it at that age. I don't think I ever had because I was I like went to community college for machining for a little while. I was trying like different things, different jobs. Like I was an instructional technician in the welding department at the college. Like I was trying to see like what what the fit was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember this like really clear moment of, I was getting ready to go into like my next semester of machining,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but I had agreed to do a knife show. Um, it was the first knife show I ever did. It was out in Arizona. Um, and I just looked at it and I was like, right now, like I can't do both. Like I, I have to choose. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I think there, that was like the gamble Mm -hmm. and who knows back then it might've been like, Oh, I can like, I'll just pick it up in another semester. Mm -hmm. But after that first show, there was no, there was like no going back. Right. Um, I don't know. You know, in reality, I think now if I were to, if I were to have a, like a traditional job, had time on the side to be creating something I do feel like there's an awareness that most people probably have of like when it is acceptable to jump off on your own. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And whether that is uh, a monetary goal, like, Hey, this, you know, side hustle or whatever is making X amount of money. We have this much savings. I know that I can make it one
1: year as a test.
0: I feel like most people are probably going into it as like a fairly calculated risk. Yeah. 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 Right.
1: There's some, you're not going to like some picture, some plan. Yeah. There's some picture There's
0: Yeah. I think so. Um, Yeah. It's an, it's a pretty interesting process though. You and I both have the aspect of working with companies too, which in a weird way, I, I almost feel like in my case, Was a little bit of that desire to still work inside of a, I don't know if corporate structure is the right way to put it, but like, like a, a business and team structure. Mm -hmm. Like you get a taste of it essentially.
1: Yeah. Do you feel that way? I can say there, there's a, there is a, like a loneliness in some ways to the self-employment picture. If you don't have employees, which I don't that i've had to become more and more aware of having a family now makes it feel a little different but there's i would say in those first like six or eight years there was like a certain sense of like a loneliness um partly because i didn't have anyone else around me that was self-employed that was my age right and so there was this feeling of like i actually did feel kind of like a jealousy towards people that had like a more camaraderie type situation because it It wasn't that I felt unique. It was that I felt like my experiences were unique compared to people that I was, because I had roommates. I was basically a college kid that was doing the self-employment thing, living with actual college kids. And so it was like, I kind of envied like their experiences of, you know, the camaraderie and stuff. And so I think once I got old enough to where I had relationships with people like you and people in the industry, that started to change that feeling for me. Uh, right. so it only took a certain amount of years before I did find camaraderie and being self-employed. But in the early years, it definitely felt weird, you know?
0: Well, especially like when you're younger too, like it, it's an, it's a shift. Like people, I, I feel like even a lot of my friends like didn't really understand like what I was doing.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: it's like I would go and I would be doing like six knife shows a year. And that, that, is providing like the majority of my income for the year at that time. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it had a flexibility to where like there was a good portion of my twenties where I wasn't super active with my friends. I, I essentially was super engaged in work. I was learning. I was like growing as a maker and just like really, really excited by everything I was doing. And there was nowhere that I wanted to be other than in, in my shop Mm -hmm. when I was probably 28, I realized that I had in a way created like a separation between me and people that I cared about Mm -hmm. because of the way that I worked. And I made a rule for myself where I was like, I'm not going to basically say no to any invitation to like go out with people. Yeah. And it, awesome. it actually like kind of shifted my life at that point because all of a sudden I realized like, Oh man, like there's the, you know, there's people that care about me. There's people that I care about. It's so easy sometimes being self-employed to just like bury yourself in the work mm-hmm. without taking into account, like everything else going on around you. Right. Um, And we have a long timeline ideally. Right. So that one thing that I've noticed for myself is that over the years, like my attachments to making knives and like making in general have, have changed. Mm -hmm. And so at this point in my life, like I really do try to have like a more holistic approach to it. And I realize like there's an obsessive quality that can exist, but you also have to like be very aware of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, um, It's interesting, though, for me, because there were, I have to contrast, like, some of my early years to yours, because I didn't have a shop when I first started. Mm -hmm. I was, like, living in an apartment with college kids, you know, like, just three-bedroom apartment or four-bedroom house, and it's just, each bedroom is rented out by, you know, one of my other college friends, and maybe there was a period of time where I did have a garage and I had a little bit going on out there, but a lot of what I was doing was, like, the original plan when I dropped out of school was that I was going to film educational DVDs. And so that was actually the float that got me out of college was that the knife thing I knew wasn't going to pay off for a few years. And so to get out in time, I had to come out with like a a stopgap. And so that was I'm going to film experts in their trade, craftsmen, knife makers like yourself, my dad, who's a leather worker, and sell the DVDs and pay royalties to these makers Mm -hmm. And that is going to, and the idea was that that would buy me time because it wasn't like I was going to be in the shop, you know, toiling. It was like, it would allow me to make some money to pay the bills, but like buy me time to exist otherwise and, and be creative and explore designing knives and such. And so, but the, the thing I, the, I would say one thing that got me in those early years was like living in a college environment and creating a situation where I had like a lot of freedom mm-hmm. made it hard to get balanced. Like, because like my sleep schedule was ridiculous, you know, it was like chaos because I'm like living with three college kids. Right. And I don't have like a class structure. So there's like no schedule to my life. And it again, harkening back to what I said earlier about like how creativity flourishes in organization. Like, there was a few years where my creativity like was stifled and there was just like so much chaos going on that it was like not as productive as I would have liked to have seen. And then I was able to like kind of cut through that. And I guess in some ways just mature and like pattern and structure everything out. And then I became far more productive. And so there was,
0: yeah, some of that stuff like set and setting is, is really, really plays like a heavy part. So like I mentioned bartending, right? So I spent like close to a decade working in bars and in a certain way, so I had dogs and mm-hmm. I had my business. And what that meant for me was that I always had somewhere to be in the morning. Mm-hmm. um, And it quieted the noise of the industry for me. Yeah. Like, I mean, flat out, like kept me out of a lot of trouble. Um, You know, it's like, dog needs breakfast. I need to go to work. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to do like environmentally when you have something else going on around you, it takes a lot of discipline, I think, Mm
1: -hmm. to
0: be able to focus on something that like the people around you are not focused on. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You're, you illustrated something though that I think is super important, Mm -hmm. which is like you did something you, you figured out like, okay, this might be a stopgap or this is like a temporary solution, but it was in line with your overarching goal.
1: Mm -hmm. Right.
0: Um, I'm like, obviously like I'm a huge enabler for self-employment. Like I love it so much. I can't imagine living my life any other way. And so for people who are, are kind of leaning that way or like curious, like how do I make that jump? doesn't have to be the end goal. Yeah, exactly. You just need something to start. You need that spark, something to start working for you.
1: And part of it too is like, start playing your hands with low stakes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like the DVD thing for me was like, I don't have to buy a bunch of tools. I, I can, I can pivot on other people's large brands. So the branding like adventure in the beginning isn't quite as hard. Like it was like, how can I get things aligning where the stakes are lower? Where like my inventory isn't going to bankrupt me. Like I don't have to borrow tens of yeah, thousands of dollars. Yeah, one
0: failure is not going to be make or break.
1: Exactly. And so finding low stakes ways to like get in the action in a way, you know what I mean? But commit to it, like enough skin in the game to where it matters to you. Uh, but even if it's like a side hustle, you know what I mean? Just start playing the game of self-employment. Like you just have to do it. And I I really think there's only one way to learn how to be self-employed and be own a business is to do it, you know? And it's the way a lot of things are in life, I think. And doing it low stakes first is smart because I think people that take high stakes leaps right out the gate, it can work, it can work. But I think that's where you really get into the gambling nature of starting businesses. And that's not a gambling nature I ever wanted to be a part of. Like I never... As far as like monetary risk, I'm like insanely risk averse the way I approach my business. Like at any point, I could have gone and worked literally at McDonald's and just been fine. Like started paying my rent, you know what I mean? Had a job the next day and I was out clean hands. Like I, that's the way it was for the most of a decade. And that's just the way I wanted to keep it because I was making a lot of mistakes, learning a lot. You know what I mean? Like I didn't feel like I had the assets around me to make a big leap and trust it yet, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And I feel like I look back now with what I know and there's a part of me that's like, well, if I would have only known what gambles to make, I could have d- got so much further, so much faster, but you know, hindsight's 2020. I didn't yeah, know. It doesn't work I like now. That. So it's, it yeah. doesn't, there's, you can't,
0: yeah. you, yeah, there, and you can look at it. I mean, hindsight being 2020, like you can look back and just have such clarity. Mm-hmm. There's, it's almost impossible i think to do that in the moment like mm-hmm. i feel like overall throughout my career i've made pretty good decisions mm-hmm. i have made a huge amount of mistakes but they were mistakes that i was able to correct mm-hmm. and recover from and learn from and like keep moving forward yeah
1: it's sort of like a don't gamble anything you're not willing to lose argument and there's yeah there's business practices that require that i would say like there sure. there are certain business models that it's like you have to get so far into this thing that you can't get out and it has to work right and i was just never attracted to that type of business i guess i would say like yeah i could out the gate like got some kind of somebody to loan me money got an employee rented a shop like i could have done a lot of things that would have set me up in a high stakes situation and it never interested me like risk aversion was like almost one of the paramounts in like what i was doing and i'm not saying that's the only way to do it i'm just saying that's that's what i did how you did it and i think it helped i think it helped me like get my hands on the handlebars and like figure this out
0: self i think self-employment can mean so many different things too like we've talked about the four-hour work week week um tim ferris Mm -hmm. that kind of concept. Like I don't, I don't consider myself an entrepreneur every once in a while. Someone will like say that. And I'm like, no, no, like that's not, I don't like view myself in that, Mm uh, light, but like, you know, he had started a business. It was like a supplement company and it was basically, okay. It was all drop shipped, like organized so that he could work very few hours. Other people managed it, like in a certain way, like I feel like a lot of people have that view of self-employment mm-hmm. or some like, it, it's like a more like a trades position. Yeah. Like you're, you know, you're a framer and you're self-employed or like mm-hmm. you're an electrician and you're self-employed. Yeah. There's a lot of middle ground in there. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, what I've found being self-employed is probably like the most one of the most important, like if I had like core foundational concepts, it would be diversification. Yeah. Yeah. Um, depends on what you're doing, but there's always a way to create some other income stream, some other level of security. Yeah, And, uh, and for, I think for yourself
1: to, to add to that, I mean, it's one way to picture it is like the benefit also of diversification is that you can generate smaller income streams that may or may not be able to support any one individual. They're they're not big enough for that. And so if you have enough situations going on, like let's say you have five or six income streams that are all small, but they add up to a lot, it almost gives you better leverage in those smaller branches because you're able to, let's say, uh, do things that are more risky, or let's say like you're able to, to attack really niche markets that someone else wouldn't be able to get into because it can't support their whole existence. But because you have six branches, you can be in a niche market, six different ways. Absolutely. You know what I mean?
0: Well, the risk, like the risk becomes smaller proportionally. Yeah. So it might be like, you might have a project where you're like, man, if I had $10,000, I could double my money, but I have to risk the $10,000. Right. There's a point where that isn't as much of a concern. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, Oh, that $10,000 is coming out of my profit account. Mm -hmm. I have that money. And if it, if something catastrophic happens to it, the bills are still paid. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it also ties into what you were saying earlier about like this balance and like the fear of giving, like almost giving too much of yourself to your business. Mm -hmm. Diversification allows you to have flexibility for yourself in how you operate within your business. So like we'll, we'll use ours for, for just like a basic example. So we have three primary components of our business, right? We have me, Lucas Burnley as a knife maker. Um, We have Burnley brand, which is anything that I do that isn't a knife or isn't custom, right? Mm Um, and it can be anything in between. So there's Mm -hmm. like things that I still make in the shop or like modify in the shop, but it was clean just to like, look at that as like the production side of the company. And then there is the factory collaboration. So it's three primary kind of income streams and workflows Mm -hmm. for years. The three of those, the goal was to like, get it to where, oh man, like, you know, the first like eight years of factory collaboration, like the money's not like amazing or anything, for, you know, or in, at least in my case. And so it, it all just kind of added up into this one system. Yeah. My goal was always to get each branch to be able to fully support my family.
1: That's awesome. You know, and, and there's another factor too that I, that I have recently taken advantage of. And that is like, there was a point where I probably had too many diversifications. In other words, I was like just too divided up. Sure. But the benefit of that is there was a period of time where I might have had like six or eight different things that all showed potential. But if I if I at least stay on top of them as best I can for a number of years, then I have a a, a point where I can decide which one is the pick of the litter or which like three, and Total. start and start pruning. And you have the option of seeing these eight different things play out. And so then when you start to like compress your business and be more focused on certain things because there's a there's a limit to how much you should diversify i think and especially you know if your time gets tied up with you know more family activities and stuff i got to that point and realized i had to trim some stuff and i realized like these three cores out of these seven or eight are the ones that have the most potential they're the ones that are performing cut all the rest now i have three like filtered the things that I know are proven against other business aspects that these are the successful ones. Right. Um, and so you, it gives you more optionality for what to invest in and what to like reinforce and what to cut, you know, you yeah. get a lay of the land.
0: I would the, getting spread thin. Like I would, I would probably say that that's, for me, that's been one of like the biggest risks. Like I just get mm-hmm. super excited about projects and yeah,
1: ideas and Be- becoming a it, yes man at some yeah, point. Yeah.
0: Becoming a yes man. Even if it's only a yes man to myself, like I can mm-hmm. talk myself into anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It at this point, I don't even know if there's value in me worrying about it because over the last like, you know, two decades, I've proven that even if I'm like scatterbrained and like getting, you know, like I'm in a target rich environment and like getting excited and like the business and the structure that I've built, like still functions. So I was really mm. hard on myself for a long time. And at this point, like I, I realized like it might just be part of my creative process, Yeah, you know, and being yeah. able to have that ebb and flow, I think is one of the main benefits of being self employed is like, as an employer of myself, right? Like, it's my job to try to understand how I work best. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's You're not always yourself. the case
0: if you mm-hmm. have someone else managing your time.
1: Well, like, that touches on a thought I've been having that I've had for a lot of years is that I think one of the things that turned me off to the idea of employment is this isn't always true and it's not totally true but there's at least a sensation that if you're being incentivized by the structure like of a corporate environment or some kind of business if the incentive structure is set up to like lead you forward mm-hmm. there's almost a little bit of a feeling of this is kind of artificial like I'm being led in a in a environment that was created to lead me if that makes hmm. sense yeah yeah whereas if you're if if you're self-employed you're being led by like total externalities and realities. So example, example being like you're being led by trying to make a profit to then pay your mortgage. Right. Whereas in an environment where there's layers above you or maybe managers above you, like you may being, you're being led in a more filtered way, I guess you're more distant from the end result. Well, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying it gives me a, a feeling That I don't like when I feel like I'm not directly attacking the main problem I'm being filter fed the problem if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so there's there's that that's a part of and 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 part of that is just like a hard-headedness that I think I have you know what I mean and so I'm not saying that's like a, a gift necessarily because that on the other hand like sometimes I wonder if like I would be probably not the best employee. You know what I mean? And so I'm glad there are people who are good at that. And I'm not saying that that's not a good thing to be because. Right. Well, that, that's
0: that I think just at a base level, like there are knowing yourself and knowing how you prefer to work, I think is, is super, super important.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, and here's a real quick mental exercise that I thought of is, whenever I feel like I'm like getting too confident with my skills or I feel like I like I'm if I start to feel like I'm you know the master of the things around me or I'm too confident maybe too egotistic I I ask myself like what would happen if all people in this country had my exact same skills and what immediately pops into my head is we'd be in trouble (laughs) yeah You know what I mean? Right. And so it's like it—it's it, like a check on the ego because it's all yeah, of a sudden yeah. I'm like I what that magnifies is all the things that I'm not good at, yeah. and I get addicted to looking at the things that I'm good at.
0: But if Super I picture
1: easy. if I if everyone was just like me, it'd be really hard to run a company because I don't think a fleet of me would make a good employee force, right. and that would be a problem. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's 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 you know a colorful uh, the state kind of, of yeah, existence. Yeah, that's kind of a fun one. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, it's it, but with self-employment, I think one of the interesting things for me as well as far as what drove me into it is the thought that I can and it, specifically knife in industry is that I can put my hands on an idea and then bring it to reality and be involved from the beginning to the end from the conceptualization to the completion and not be segmented and it it's almost. Right. A, a part of my like completionist mentality with a lot of things of like when I for example when I read about World War II suddenly I'm curious what happened before that and before that and before that and and you, you can just go infinitely like trying to what led up to this and it's like if I'm in a window looking at a specific part of a project it bothers me that I don't know what's coming before and what's after you know mm-hmm. what I mean it's just like it's just a maybe it's a OCD kind of thing but that the answer for me is being self-employed because I get to just kind of like at least see everything from beginning to end.
0: When, when you look at where you're at right now, I got two, two questions. One, what do you see any like major risks? Like, do you see a risk on the horizon where you're like me being self-employed could result in this in a decade?
1: I would say I'm ramping up. I, I talked about being risk averse. I'm actually ramping up my risk more than ever before right now. I, I feel like I'm doing it in a controlled way. But what I mean by that is like I'm investing in assets now, which I w- haven't done before. So uh, for the first eight to 10 years of my career, it was all in business relationships and, and deals and designs and intellectual property deals. And there was I wasn't investing like cold, hard cash into like physical assets. But now I've bought like a couple CNC machines you know i bought the house to put them in the garage bought it you know like i own way more assets now and so for me the biggest risk is not is is using that risk to work for me but not overdoing it you know what i mean is like it, sure. it, sometimes i'm checking myself i'm like this is a lot more risk than i've used in the past and it's working but i don't want to get overly addicted to it and and overgrow you know what i mean like overcommit that-
0: that's something I, th- I think that plays, I mean, you listed a few things like you bought a house to put machines in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you also have, you know, a partner and children.
1: Yeah. yeah. So yeah.
0: you also have a house to put them in.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's not a risk. Right. The house is right? a bad example. The house yeah. was, I, I really am talking about the CNCs. I know. It's, um,
0: I'm, but even yeah. the CNC, you look at it and you're like, you're not over leveraged. You now have a tangible asset. Right, right you could sell us. You could sell a machine. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. you have, you have solid assets, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So second part of the question, is there anything that you are struggling with currently that is like around self-employment?
1: Yes. I, I would say, I would say overall things are going really well, like better than ever before. I mean, things are going well, but what I'm struggling with right now is I'm at, a huge crossroads of like, how do I model my business? And it's keeping me up at night recently, especially like the last week, even of like, how much of the work on these knives should I do? Should I become a, get in a situation where I'm delegating a little bit, where I'm using some outside resources, like let's say bevel grinding done by someone else, Mm -hmm. but then do I lose, does some of the passionate side of it escape when I hand that over? Or is that is that an ego thing that I'm trying to do it myself and that I shouldn't be like that? You know what I mean? It's trying to figure out what how much do I delegate slash how much do I do myself? That's honestly the biggest question right now because obviously I start delegating, efficiency goes up, but again, my my like approach of seeing everything happen in front of me starts to dilute. And I'm like, is that is that going to actually hurt the business down the road as far as my interest and my like excitement and whatnot?
0: Right. And is it in that case, is it growth and efficiency only for growth and efficiency's sake? Or does it provide some like tangible result? Like I I struggle with that a lot of times, too. And I realize there's an element of me that just likes the work. Mm-hmm. There's always yeah. a more efficient way to do something. And mm-hmm. talking about like the entrepreneurial side, like the mo, if you were a knife entrepreneur, you could just take one of your designs and send it overseas and have a beautiful product come back.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: That's, you don't need any machines. You don't need like, you could have that go to drop shipping. There's so many ways. So you can, you can take that like thought process to the nth, to where you basically have just talked yourself out of ever making anything. Exactly. Which I don't think is what, what a lot of us are actually like looking to do.
1: Yeah. And, and the first, you know, big chunk of my career, all I was doing was creating intellectual property and having other people make it. And this, all that I'm doing now is an answer to that. So it's like, I could easily take the initial objective and just dilute it to the point where it defeated the whole purpose. And, and what's getting me is like the main crux. And this is like, We're talking about doing a future podcast about this, but the main crux of the knife maker is how do you do the bevel efficiently and effectively and cleanly? That is like the primary bevel on an actual knife blade. It is a
0: major point. (laughs) It is
1: the (laughs) sticking point. If you take a model like a a CAD model to a a machine shop and you say, here, make this knife for me, they'll always say, unless they're a knife manufacturer, we can do everything but the bevel. Because if they don't have the right equipment and know how they cannot do it. I'm like, I'm telling you right now, like they have to know how to do it. Very, very specific.
0: Well, and it's, and it's funny because I mean, that carries through beginning to make knives by hand. Yeah. Like learning how to blade grind is always an issue
1: for people. Right. Like it's
0: just, it's a, it's a huge hurdle to cross.
1: And I, I guess what I'm getting to is like that's the thing that i would first outsource to have ground like in the united states by a friend of mine or right. uh, someone who has a grinding apparatus that can do it you know in a mechanized way like that is easily within reach but the philosophy i have about those knives especially fixed blades is like the person who did the bevel made the knife
0: because the... the
1: rest of it is easy so it's like sure so that's the hard part for me is like if i'm not doing the bevel I have a hard time giving a knife to someone and say that I made it because that's the so bevel
0: maker of you. Y-
1: right. Like. And so, well, and no, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying I'm not making a value judgment across the totally. board of people doing yep. that at all. Yeah. I'm just saying like the, the outset of me buying the machines was for me to feel like I made the knife. And if I give this away, then if all of a sudden it feels like I didn't, which is okay because that's what I did for 10 years and it's fine. Right. But that's not why I started doing this, you know? Right. So,
0: And you're still, it's like, that's the company versus craftsman, I think, concept, right? If you can look at it and be like, my company made this thing. And what your company is, is still just you, Mm -hmm. but you're outsourcing a process that is either happening in numbers that you could not maintain yourself. Or because you realize it's not how you want to spend your time. So like, for instance, with blade grinding, right? It might be like, if you go to one of the CNC blade grinders, you're probably a 200 piece minimum. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, if you're running 200 knives and you're hand grinding knives, 200 is a real, real number. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, Obviously different ways to do it, but like, that's kind of that start point. If you're doing Mm. 500, if you're doing, if you want to do a run of a thousand knives, you're looking at some type of automated grinding well and that's that's company work right
1: and that touches on the 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 question you had is like what's my struggle and that is do i just work myself up to like what's the maximum i can do in-house and with myself and maybe an assistant or one employee like do i get to that and then from there just get improve efficiency but maintain that same general amount of work input Or do I start to delegate and start growing, 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 you know? And that's, that's right now is the impasse is like, do I give that like special moment of the one that did the bevel up for the bigger picture or not? And it's, it's, it's a philosophical almost question for me and that's why it kind of keeps me up at night.
0: I think it's, I think it's probably one of the more common questions as, as a maker, Mm -hmm. what like, not to give advice, but like, just as, as like a thought exercise, what I would say is not to run to your max capacity in any way. It's to figure out like, okay, out of, say you're doing the overland, what amount of, you know, resource do you want that to provide for you on a monthly basis? Mm -hmm. Okay. How do you achieve that goal? And still have room for you to connect to your business in other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's it's like a holistic approach. Like if you spend, you know, 10 hours a day only making overlands and you're working five days a week or or six days a week, like, and you're making so many of them, like, We kind of talked about like logistics and stuff. Like all of a sudden, you still have to ship those, you still have to interact with those customers. So when I look at at this point, I'm like, any product line, I want to be like 30% of my peak output. Mm -hmm. That's it. That to me sounds crazy. I think that I think for the majority of my 20s, I probably ran at like 85% of like my personal capacity in Mm -hmm. everything I did. Mm -hmm. And I was just lucky that I never like crashed and burned Mm -hmm. as I've gotten older and the stakes and the like obligations on my time have grown. I've realized like, Oh, okay. Like I actually don't want to push it to that level.
1: Right. Yeah. It's, it's a big question. We're we're like circling and diving right into like my biggest dilemma (laughs) and it, Balance is key, you know. Is so. what
0: you're doing now working? Oh yeah, it's yeah. I'm,
1: I'm really happy with how it's working. It it's the question is I'm like bumping into the upper limit of productivity, and it's like, do I focus on efficiency to improve, or do I start to delegate? It's like the two paths. Mm-hmm. Or do I do exactly what I'm doing and don't and don't improve, which I don't see as an option. I just my brain doesn't work that yeah, way. Yeah,
0: I don't see I don't yeah. see that as an option for you. So yeah, there's an, there's like an improvement and these, these are the differences in, in being (laughs) self-employed, right? Like we all have different methods and problems and goals. Um,
1: so let me ask you, let me ask you that question. What, from a business standpoint, what do you struggle with right now?
0: Ooh, so we're, so I work with my wife, Maddie. Um, One of, so here's like, here's a great example of flexibility of self-employment. When she was pregnant with Bo, she had a, like a full-time job at a tech company. Um, Good job. And we realized we were like, all right, like the baby's going to come and you're going to have to get like maternity leave. And we just decided we were like, all right, it was like the last few months of the pregnancy We're like, if you come into the business, like you don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. There, there will be times where you can work a little bit, times where you, if you need to be with the baby, like you can do that. It's a flexibility. It is not necessarily the easiest choice. Um, Fast forward now, five years, and we are still learning how to kind of align our time and create space for like the business and the family. And that Mm -hmm. when you're fully self-employed, like the options are there, but it's not always like, sometimes the answers aren't like the easiest to kind of figure out. Right. So Maddie wants to like work. She wants to be fully in the business, but she's also been like primary caregiver over the last couple of years. Um, And so we're trying to like balance that. Yeah. So, And that you're in a transitional
1: is, period too, because your totally. youngest is now starting to have a little bit of a, a preschool type situation. Yeah. So yeah, so you, Winston just went into time.
0: preschool. So all yeah. of a sudden now we have, you know, three to four days where she has like the day, mm-hmm. but figuring out this is, this is that capacity thing, right? It's really easy for her to come into the, to the business and want to work an eight hour day, mm-hmm. but she's also been primary caregiver. So the reality of it looks probably more like it makes sense to work like three to four hours and just have that flex time to be able to work through other mm-hmm. like household problems or yeah. like what, you know, whatever it is that, that is also something that I'm struggling with because I want to be able to support her more to be able to connect to the business, yeah. which means I have to be out of the business. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So
0: it's like these are the things where you're like, okay, it's a problem. I know it's a problem, but we have access to the solution.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think we should make an episode about outsourcing: how much to do it or not to do it. Okay, and work-life family balance. Okay, how does same that episode? Work? I think two different episodes. Two different. I, episodes. I was just thinking both of our answers. I feel like yeah, are just yeah. a big piece of meat. Like, wait, yeah. I I just want to talk to you more about that. And that's a,
0: yeah, that's a fun one. Um, and then on a more personal level, like what I'm struggling around with the business in a certain way is honestly, like figuring out what, what I want to be working on and where my time is most valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, because I've created so many like little areas that I can, I can kind of exist in and play in sometimes it's, it's really hard to not just like go down a rabbit hole. It's like
1: that pruning we talked about earlier. It's the pruning.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, and I've got a bunch of projects that I like doing, Mm -hmm. but, but with it just being me in the shop, man, it's like, I struggle with how to, how to manage my time. Yeah. At this point, I've tried all kinds of different things. Like, okay, first, first four hours of the day are only the shop. That's physically making things. Um, I've tried to batch my CNC work. I've tried to go into the shop and do de- like two hours of design work out of the gate. Like, and I've been trying to do these things since I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little bit ADD. Organization is not like my strongest uh, skill set, but I'm constantly trying to like kind of work yeah. it. Yeah. You couple that with just the desire of a maker. Like, there's knives I want to make. Well, how does that fit into the context of a business?
1: Yeah. Right. Well, we, we had this conversation at blade show sitting in the hotel room. I remember we had, this came up talking about this pruning thing of, Mm -hmm. you know, you you mentioned target rich environment. This is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm dabbling in. This is what I'm fully entrenched in. These are the things I'm doing on a daily basis. And you, you get the feeling that you're being like torn, you know, you're just getting like, you just overexpanded, just getting stretched. And as soon as you have that sensation, I think a lot of people, they want to create a list of things that they are going to focus on. Like, okay, oh, these are the three things that are the most important. And I think that's somewhat productive, but I think the most productive way to approach that like pruning process is make a list of the things you're going to stop doing. Unequivocally, this is the list of items that I am finished with. Absence and then of automatically utilities. you're going to have more time to do the rest of the things. You know what I mean? And so to it's say an you're going to its put, like an
0: anti to-do list, it's a not yeah, to-do list.
1: Cause if you, if you're going to mo- put more focus on these three things out of the five in theory, yeah, you're going to do that. But then if you don't convince, if you don't have conviction that you're going to stop doing the other two things, then that's never actually going to happen where you put more energy. Cause you only have so much energy, but if you tell yourself, I'm forcefully stopping. Like I'm making the phone call. I'm sending the email. I'm hanging up the whatever for these other two things. Like I am doing that right now. Then it's automatic. The other three get more attention. Man, it's so hard. But it's but that the hanging up the the actual pruning, because it may be something you fostered. It could be something that at one point, like for me, there was one thing I was doing that was paying for most of my bills for like three years. And then later it became smaller and other things became bigger. And I just, I couldn't let it go, but I had to, you know?
0: Well, there's like all those classic kind of tropes about like entrepreneurship and like the idea of being able to like say no to good opportunities. Mm -hmm. I was really focused on that for a long time. And like, I'm grateful at this point that I have the opportunities I do and that I can realize when some of them aren't a good fit. Yeah. Um, yes, but later is a thing that Maddie and I do a lot. Like, yeah, this is something that I really want to do, but not right now.
1: Yeah. No, um, no
0: doubt. Well, that's, that's actually like one of the, like, so pitfalls of self-employment is that just like you are able to look at some of the ways that you work and really tailor it to yourself. You also have to be completely honest with yourself that there are yeah. things that you may not be good at at all.
1: Yeah. And, um and a, and a, another kind of anti statement is like simply don't lie to yourself. Right. right. It, it's like that you everyone talks about don't lie to people, right? right? Like a cardinal sin, don't lie. It's like but you don't really hear it said very much of like stop lying to yourself. Yeah. Because it's like I you know, I'll catch myself in that of like Well, if I just, if I just do this and it's like, no, you know, that's not true. Yeah. Like stop, stop that. Yeah. And so there's, there's some of that going on of like, I'm not good at this. I'm not going to be, this isn't going to grow to be one of my primary aspects of my business. It's not what I'm good at. Stop. Unless, and this
0: is this caveat for me, right? Like I like to let the efficient things be efficient Mm -hmm. a lot for me. Like a lot of times when I'm working, I don't want to have to think about efficiency. Mm -hmm. I want to enjoy what I'm working on. Right. And this is me at like a developmental creative kind of stage of work. Right. But your question about like when to outsource, I think that that actually plays a big part in like knowing how to shore up your own weaknesses. So the first person that I ever considered like an employee and they weren't an employee was I hired an accountant Mm -hmm. because I was not good at doing my taxes. It stressed me out. And I realized that like, I mean, this was in my twenties. I'm like my accountant at $90 an hour was way cheaper than me at like, I don't know, $15 an hour doing the same job, trying to figure it out. So I think that that like the idea of surrounding yourself with people that are you know, smarter than you or have different skill sets than Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. super, super valuable. Um, and just realizing like when to reach out for help. Um, and, and, and like where to look for it. So you could do that on a manufacturing side. You could say, Hey, you know what? I'm really, I'm efficient at, at doing 75% of the knife, but I can't efficiently heat treat in the shop at the numbers I'm doing. And I can't efficiently grind. I'm going to outsource those two processes it's exactly the same as being like, man, I need help with my accounting. It's no different.
1: Yeah. yeah. Although the only difference I would say, again, harking back to the bevel is like, <laughs> it'd be like being an accounting yeah. office and uh, and outsourcing your accounting work. You know, <laughs> it's like, it feels so, it, it may be me that feels it specifically, but like, I want to call myself a knife maker. Maybe it's right. a, an insecurity of spending eight years in the industry, not really been able to call myself a knife maker. That's like if I start making knives, and a year later I start outsourcing the bevels. It's like, right. well, I'm not a knife maker now. You know what I mean?
0: I, and- man, I like. I'm sure I would, I would catch shit for this, but like to me, I, I've just never worried about it, right? Like I make knives, and I make knives how I want to make knives. Mm-hmm. If I want to send something out for grinding, do it. Like, I there's this, yeah, there's a skill set involved. Like we all want to be talented and like capable people. Mm -hmm. Right. We also have to look at the fact that you, if running a business and feeding your family is like part of that goal. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: To me, it's transparency. Yeah, Like that is the critical element of being a maker. Like, absolutely. It, that doesn't mean like, Oh, you have a, you have a trade secret or a, a process that you do. It doesn't mean like you need to tell everyone exactly how you do some technique, but it, but it just like, I look at it. I'm like, why we call Burnley brand production was because there was so much like mist around the term mid tech mm-hmm. and people were like using this term different. I was like, well, why do I need to use that term if like a lot of it is actually just production and like, yeah. why can't it, my it, brand it, can say production? It doesn't reflect yeah. on me as a maker.
1: It almost got to the point where it was like any knife over $300 was a mid tech. It, and it yeah.
0: still kind of floats in that yeah. right yeah. it's a, it wasn't the original concept as like ken onion coined it yeah yeah you know i think <laughs> i i do think that it plays like your comment about about uh an accounting office the the irony of that is that they are doing that right mm-hmm. because if you're go if you go to an accounting firm and you're like dealing with you know up someone up high, you know, a partner or something, you're probably at some point going to get passed to one of their assistants.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. There's a point in your, in your craft, in your career where you are actually valuable enough to outsource regardless Mm -hmm. of what that task is.
1: Right. No doubt. So we're kind of also poking around. This is a topic (laughs) that I mentioned before. We, we went on, but it was like something I wanted to bring up. So the idea of feeding a family, taking care of your household, paying bills. If I think one of the things that I discovered early on was like, I looked at kind of what I could make in a normal job environment. I'm just going to throw a number out there. Like, let's say in my head, I was like, well, if I went and got like a normal job early on, like maybe I could go find a way to make 40 grand a year or something like that. Well, there is a fallacy I think I had early on where I thought I should find a way to make that 40 grand or whatever self-employed. And I think it took me a while to realize, I almost want to coin a term like self-employment inflation happens, which let me explain what that is. So like, if, if, if you have a salary that's every two weeks and it totals 40 grand in a year, and you have a self-employed income that net taxable income is 40 grand a year the 40 grand of salary from the employment buys you more lifestyle than the 40 grand from self-employment Agreed. because the fluctuation and the 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 lack of control you have over the income in the self-employed environment causes you to assume a lifestyle Initially. that's much that's much lower yeah I think it, it's pretty, it seems con- relatively cons- continuous to me, but the, the idea being that like, you have to, if you're wanting to replace a $40,000 income, you have to make a certain amount more than 40000 to replace totally. that exact lifestyle. Right. You know what I mean? And so what I mean by that, like the actionable part of that that I learned is like, I have to aim higher than I was aiming. And aiming higher served me really well, not because I was like trying to improve my lifestyle, but because I made the realization that the lifestyle I want costs more than what I thought it did. You know what I mean?
0: Right. Well, and you're not, man, this one, that's like pretty loaded because I, I have seen many different types of self-employment. Mm -hmm. growing up, what I thought of as self-employment is different than what I see it as now. Mm -hmm. Um, my goal is not to struggle. Like I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to worry about money. I don't want to worry about what, you know, what groceries I'm buying. Like that was never part of it. So like for me being self-employed means that I have to be doing as, Good, if not better than I would be doing in a job that I could feasibly get. Exactly. Yeah. No, I've felt that. There's, and and there's no, at a point, you're not dick. Like, even in the knife industry, like, you're just, you don't have, there's not like an industry pay scale that you're going to like hit. And then you're just, hey, that's like what you make as a, as this job.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: not going to happen.
1: Yeah. I think, I think looking forward, my, my general rule of thumb is it's gotta be, this is, I'm pulling this out of thin air, but like, I feel like self-employment inflation is like 25 ish percent. I made that number up for the most part, but that's what it feels like to me of like, if I, if, if I'm comparing being self-employed, making a hundred thousand to being employed, making a hundred thousand, just throwing a nice round number out there. They're they're not equal. 125 to one hundred
0: and twenty-five self-employed
1: is more equal to a hundred thousand from a salary. As far as what it buys you in life.
0: Interesting. I'm sure that somebody like with a financial background could actually probably like tell, tell us that if any of you guys are listening and like, there's, there's a rule for that. We would love to know. Yeah. Somebody dig Um, that up
1: for us. I, I, I made the number up. I'm not claiming anything. These,
0: these conversations again, like these are our conversations that, and things that we struggle with and like are, are curious about, mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) but Yeah.
1: No, and I guess just background. to real quick, just to like, if, if that doesn't make a lot of sense, the reason I'm saying that is like, if you have a commitment from a company to pay you exactly a hundred thousand in a year, you can plan like, okay, I can have a car payment. that's this much. I can set right. this much aside. This much is going to retirement. And you you have the pie in front of you to then cut up and delegate to the different things that you want to have done in life, like your mortgage or whatever. But if, if you enter the year, even if you know you're going to make 100,000 you can't cut the pie all the way up you have to cut it in smaller pieces because you don't know when the machine spindle is going to go down like you have to think right. it could be lower it could be 80 it could be 150 you don't know right. so you have to plan for 70 right and so it's like so, it's, you have to control everything has to be smaller as a lifestyle you know relative speaking
0: well and you're a fit that's where the efficiency because you you are your own you're, you're, you're like the resilient component. So like, we always say like, protect the asset. So like, what's the asset in this case. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, we've talked about like profit first accounting. I'm a huge, huge fan of that. You guys like, if you're curious, like there's a book called profit first. Um, basically it's almost like old school, like, like, um, like envelope method. You know, mm-hmm. where, so say for a dollar comes into the business, I break that dollar down into like six different accounts. Mm-hmm. I do it twice a month, right? And so what that means is that I don't have to look at my account and go, oh man, like, can I afford this piece of equipment? Well, I've got the money in my account. That money doesn't actually show the real picture. So it's like our our money comes in and it gets broken down into this idea of profit first. So there's a small percentage that just goes straight into a profit account. Okay. Mm -hmm. Every quarter we take a profit distribution, right? Half Mm -hmm. of it stays in the business. Half of it comes out as kind of like a bonus. Yeah. We have a payroll, we have tax, we have an emergency fund. Yeah. And so when you look at it, yeah, there's less money coming into my operating expense account in the business. But there is the diversification in the security in the background for not when, not if something goes wrong, like when the next thing goes wrong.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think I think the creating a system of securities and like uh, almost like a slush fund of sorts, whether it's just cash or whether it's actual just ability to access money or ability to make extra money when the time comes where you like pull the ripcord. I'm going to work three weekends in a row, make some more money to cover this stop, this gap or whatever, right. like having solutions to potential problems. Um, and I think, let me re- rewind it just a, a touch. So like, I guess what I mean by like having the lifestyle be equivalent is like, if you have the hundred thousand from the salary, you can spend X amount percentage of that and be feeling pretty secure, like sleep at mm-hmm. night. But if you, and just, But if you have that same exact expenditure lifestyle with a hundred thousand self-employed, you won't have that feeling of security. Right. So to have that same feeling of security along with the same lifestyle, you have to have enough in excess to create the insulating factors you're talking about. And so that insulation kind of factor is like that 25%. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: But that was just a, once I learned (laughs) that of like, Oh, I need to aim higher. And and the, the critical, right. the value of it was that it made me, re- I looked at my efficiency. I looked at what I was doing. I looked at the money I was bringing in. And when you, when you ha- have a real clear goal, then you can do the pruning of like, well, this branch based on how much time is going into it, it isn't making that new goal of that 25% higher or whatever it is. It's not chinning that bar. And right. it, it's like it chinned the bar that I thought was the bar, but then I learned right. it wasn't. And so yeah, i cut it. just moves you know what i mean and so it's like yeah. that you have to adjust your efficiency modeling in your mind for like dollars to hours to that new bar and then and then suddenly it's like oh like now it makes sense now i can achieve what i want as a lifestyle and feel secure at the same time and i think maybe a lot if you right. get a business situation where you're, you're paying all the bills you're doing well but you don't feel secure It could be why, because that's what, that was how it worked for me.
0: There's another, there's another level to that too, which is if you have a traditional job and you work a standard amount of hours a week and say, maybe you work a little bit of overtime, you come home from that job generally and can disconnect. I know this is not true in all industries. Yeah. Yeah. Being self-employed like it can be very hard to disconnect and it's easy. Just like social media is like super tricky. It's really easy just to kind of like stay into it or like keep answering emails or like whatever. Right. So having working to be able to disconnect is something that I wish that I would have learned much earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, it's hard for me now. Right. Um, where was I going with that thought, man? I had like a, there was like a, there was like a ripple effect. Um, Okay. So <laughs> uh, I... <laughs> let me let me let me try to let me try to get back on track with okay, it. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um I think I know where ul- you're going.
0: Okay, so so ultimately this idea of being able to disconnect has another like risky side, right? Mm-hmm. Which is mm-hmm. if you're setting that monetary goal, but it's taking you eighty hours a week to do it, that's also something that I think you need to look at.
1: Yeah, exactly. If
0: you're in enti- unless you just are like, that's all you want to do. You just want to grind. Like I, when I look at being self-employed, it does not mean giving every single thing that yeah. I have yeah. to my business. Yeah. That means from a physical standpoint, like you have to be able to take care of yourself. You have to be able to spend time with yeah. your family. For, for me, I'm saying I have to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's really easy. Like, self-employed like hobbies are tricky yeah right can you afford to have a hobby and when i say afford i mean in time like you affording yourself the time to have a hobby that you would have if you were getting out of work at at five o'clock and we're like thank god i'm out of there like i'm going to do so and go fishing or whatever activity Yeah. yeah
1: yeah yeah no it's it's the balance is hard and 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 what i've what i've tried to do is circle back to like start with how much do I want to work? First question, not how much do I think?
0: Not not what you want to make. You think how much, how much do I
1: want to work? Because if you, if you think of how much you want to work, not like, obviously you have to work more than you would like to be working at certain points. That's obvious. You know, sometimes you do have to work 60 hours a week. You just have to, but I just mean like as a, as a business model planning, I want to work let's say it is 40 to 50 hours a week, like a conventional work week. Let's say that's your goal. You think that's going to balance with your family. Or if you don't have a family, maybe it's 60 hours a week and you see that's comfortable for you. Make that decision first and foremost. And then say, what actions are going to meet this? one hundred. Like Take the amount you want to make to have the lifestyle you want. Mm-hmm. Multiply it by 125%. So you, that's the new bar, that high bar how do what kind of work has to happen in those 45 hours to hit that 125% mark. And then you start to back into it of like, if I'm doing freelance CAD work, this is what that hourly rate has to be. If I'm doing, uh, making knives, this is how many I would have to make. So can I make it, can I, do I have the efficiency to make that many in those 45 hours to make that amount of money? Mm -hmm. If you say no, you got to think of it. You got to, you got to think about something because you can't just say, I'll tack on 10 more hours every week and I'll get there. You have right. to start with the hours and then that's where you get your pricing model. That's where you get, can I afford to sell them to retailers as opposed to direct a customer? Does that make, force me to tack 10 more hours on? You know what I mean? And it's like the, if the hours are the main foundational units, not the dollars then you force the dollars to apply to those hours. As a, it's as
0: actually, a, I really like that. Uh, I, you know, we always say like time's the only asset you can't yeah. replace. Mm-hmm. So the, the, like the scheduling issues that Maddie and I are having right now, that's actually probably the question. Like we're looking at it and we're going, man, we have so many projects that we want to do. And mm-hmm. she's like thinking about all of these different elements of the business that she's been missing. The question, like, Actually, I'm just going to look at it and say, how many hours a week do you actually want to do this? And I'm going to, I I've done that for myself more.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I like for one, like right now we're trying to work for four days a week. Right. Mm-hmm. seems like a completely reasonable split. Now my days, a lot of times they're like, they're, you know, 10, 11 hour day probably. But also like I go to the gym, I'll surf a couple days a week. Like I'll go out mm-hmm. and I'll have coffee and work from a coffee shop. So they're mm-hmm. not, it's not just like head down grind, but yeah. I realized like, if I can give my family three out of seven days a week, that's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For it's sure. Still a
0: full-time job. Yeah. And it,
1: if that decision is four days a week, this is the, the 125% number, whatever the dollar figure is. Then the, I think the pruning becomes an easier equation because then mm-hmm. it's not a gut feeling it's math. Cause it's like, this particular task that I would indulge in when, if I were to do only that for those four days, it doesn't quite hit that number. It's gone. Right. Either you raise your prices or it's gone. You get
0: back to that efficient. This is where my brain starts to go like full overload. All of a sudden you're into that idea of like, well, if I just send a, a design out and I have it produced for my brand, like I'm done. Yeah. You know? There's, there's these balance points that are, they they shift. It's not the bot. It's not always the bottom line. Like, Mm -hmm. so time, time is super important. Time working on what you're interested in time, working on things that are profitable for your business time with your family, the money. Yeah. I, I would agree that in a way at a point, the money is like almost of secondary concern because it's a given based on the work. Yeah. But having a reasonable, like, what do you actually need? Mm -hmm. What do you want? We've, do you have any, like, do you have, like, as a self-employed person, do you have any, like, larger, is there, like, a stretch goal for you where you're like, I want to be able to do this thing by being self-employed?
1: I, so, that, a goal that we had as a family that has become a stretch goal that wasn't a stretch goal two years ago is the type of house mm-hmm. that we want to own with the shop along with it in the place we want to live. Three years ago, it was a hole in one. It was like, yeah, we'll get there. It'll be no time. We're on, our, on track. Prices are uh, are interesting in this part of Idaho and a lot of parts of the country. So yeah. it's becoming a moving target. And so it's exactly what we pictured suddenly started to become a stretch goal. Right. So I, that's another problem I have that is related to my business, but mostly my family is like, do I shrink the goal or do I impre- increase my goals from an economic mm. standpoint? You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. one or the other or a middle ground, but like something, or do I think those prices are unsustainable? That's a totally different conversation. That's a whole, that's yeah. way into <laughs> it's the weeds. A
0: different, different do podcast. I, do I
1: bank on something <laughs> crazy happening? You know, there's, but that is a conundrum for me of like, it's a stretch goal now not to buy a bigger house or to have a bigger shop, but like the one we actually originally pictured is now more of a stretch goal,
0: more of a stretch. So here's, here's the beauty though, right? Everything that you're doing still works to achieve that goal. Mm That the the timeline may move a little bit. Yeah. um, But ultimately like best practice is best practice. Mm -hmm. You're still working efficiently. You're growing your business. You're saving money that gets you to that point. Eventually, regardless. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah it's a and it, and it, there is a part of it. I'm a numbers guy and a like I always am calculating things. It's just I just can't not do it. But there is part of me that sometimes just says, you know what, when the time comes for us to move, we'll buy what we can afford and we'll be happy. And there's that's just part of it. You know, that's that's what you just have to settle on. But it doesn't stop me from doing the mental gymnastics of like, this is what needs to happen. This is, I'm a planner. I'm a math guy. Like, it's just, it's just how I approach. Like you Man, just heard me go on a, I just created yeah. like an algorithm <laughs> for planning, you know, 125% all that. Like that's, I, that's just how I operate. But at the end of the day, you do have to sometimes just say, this is, this is what I'm capable of. And I'm okay with that. This is where I've arrived. This is what I make. I'm okay with that. There is that factor
0: yeah, because there's, there yet. There's theoretical
1: efficiency on paper and then there's what you actually accomplish. You have to be okay with that discrepancy. You do like you have to live with it.
0: I'm not a numbers guy. I'm, I'm like pretty irrational and I'm super emotional.
1: Right. And that's, (laughs) I'm like, I can do it. And if you are still wondering why we called it edge and flow podcast, maybe that's illuminating.
0: Man. Yeah. Like, man, it is a, this is, this was a fun one, man. I really, it's, I I think at this point, like I cannot imagine having a job. If my, Mm -hmm. if my family depended on it in a heartbeat, obviously Mm -hmm. like I would do Mm -hmm. anything. Mm -hmm. Um, But for all of the frustrations around kind of self-employment and like all of the self-imposed stress and frustration, man, it is, it's pretty magic.
1: Yeah. Oh, it, the payoff has been great and I'm not talking about money. Just, yeah the lifestyle, the excitement, the ups, the downs, the everything. Like it's just, it's in every way done for me, what I wanted it to do and more like it. I wouldn't, I couldn't go back. I wouldn't have changed a thing. It's, it's the only way for me. I I don't, I don't know any other way. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: That's interesting. I don't know. People are different. That's the, that's the beauty, right? Like I think probably this conversation stems like, one of our goals with this podcast is to kind of be able to discuss different elements, kind of just of life, like both inside and outside of the knife industry. And so like, as it relates to us, like self-employment is, is the knife industry. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I have a feeling like for, you know, our small listening demographic at this point, like there's a lot of different, job types there's there's people who are interested in making knives there's people Mm -hmm. who are already making something else there's people with like high paying jobs and low paying jobs and that's the beauty like this is just kind of a yeah you know round table almost like of two (laughs) discussion
1: yeah Yeah. no it's it's been fun and i think we just farmed like three more ideas for future episodes so that's i know it was a good good conversation when it like sparked all (laughs) these other tangents that we had to kind of like put in a basket Put it. Yeah, we've been a, a pretty uh, good little running list. Yes, but later sticker on yeah. those. Yes, yeah. but later. Well, that was a good one, man. I appreciate All right, it. Man.
0: Nice, nice catching up. Hey guys, yeah. thank you for for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Um, yeah. Let us know if you have any questions.
1: Yeah, yeah. post some comments, some questions anywhere, and uh, we'll try to answer. Appreciate right, you guys. Appreciate y'all.